Good evening, darlings. Can you guess where I am right now? <laughs> Gladstone Cemetery. <sighs> I'm freezing my ass off, but it will be so worth it. You see, I got tired of trying to find the perfect man. I tried it all. Speed dating, dating apps, dating agencies, love potions. Ugh, you name it. And you know, I don't think my perfect man even exists. So I decided to make my own. <laughs> I got the idea from my cousin Frank. I'm digging up the graves of some fine young men who tragically lost their lives very recently. Well, the corpses have to be fresh, darling. And I'm going to take what I need from their bodies and build myself the perfect man. I just hope I don't get caught. <gasps> what was that? Just an owl. Well, while I get digging, you enjoy the first story. This story takes place in April 2018. I live on Long Island, and I was in my freshman year of high school. I was going through a tough time. Earlier in the week, my girlfriend broke up with me because of rumours she heard about me, which I won't go into now. There was a lot of drama going around my life at this time. Depression, broken hearts, you know, typical high school bullshit. My mum knew I was down in the dumps, so one night she took me to get a new phone in the nearby mall. I had an iPhone 5 at the time, going on to iPhone 8, so I needed a new one. We were gone for about an hour. We return home with my dog greeting us. Let me tell you something about my dog. He's a short, stocky, golden retriever who's never violent or vicious in any way. This is important for later. My dad was still at work, so it was my duty to take out the trash. I went through the front door with my dog resting on the porch and went to the side of the house to throw out the trash. When I was throwing the bag, I look over at my neighbour's house, where I saw a guy, dressed all in black, around six feet, walking around the side door. Being a paranoid 14-year-old, I had so many red flags going off. Let me tell you something about my neighbours and my neighbourhood. I live in a safe neighbourhood, but not 15 minutes away from walking distance. We live by a town that has a high crime rate, ranging from muggings, drug dealing and even murders from time to time. My neighbours, on the other hand, have an older stepson who does drag racing in that part of town, so for some stupid reason, I wasn't in the flight or fight mode because I was assuming that this could be one of his friends. Stupid of me, I know. Until I saw another man. And then another. There were six guys dressed all in black coming out of the house and from the backyard. Then I knew what was going on so I tried walking away as if I saw nothing. When I was on my driveway, I saw two of the six guys slowly walking towards me. My blood went cold. Within seconds, they were getting close. My dog went running off the porch, chasing the six men down the street, chasing them into the night. My dog came back, and I was still standing on my driveway trying to process what I just saw. I went back inside, and my mum asked me what had just happened. I told her what I had just seen, with the six men coming out of my neighbour's house and heading towards me. 
We called the police and they came over to ask me questions. I described the six men as best I could. The police told us we were not the first to experience this, as there were seven burglaries all over town at the time, and I probably witnessed them attempting to break in. I told the officers about two of the guys that had been walking after me. They told me that since I had seen them, they were trying to stop a witness. That was basically a friendly way of them saying that the burglars were going to kill me, since I saw what they were doing. As typical as this could get, the best they could do was a police report. I was always afraid of break-ins, but I never thought I would experience one. To this day, I'm still surprised how my harmless golden retriever saved my life that night and showed me that no matter where you are in this world, this kind of thing can happen to anyone. Four years have gone by, my family now has a gun, and I'm currently training in kickboxing for self-defence. I really hope I don't have to use my newfound skills, but it's better to be prepared. This story happened to me about five years ago, an incident that I'll never forget for the rest of my life. It's about how I survived a brutal accident and how I encountered something that couldn't be explained. It's the month of October. I worked that day, and when I finished working, I visited a friend that asked me if I could help them fix their desktop computer. It's 7 p.m. when I arrive, so we talked while I was fixing his computer, and after I fixed it, we had dinner. After I looked at my phone and it's 9.45pm, I told my friend that I needed to go home. I left my friend's house and started traveling back home on my motorbike. When I reached the long stretch of road in our city, I decided to visit my mom. I checked the opposite side of the road to see if there were any oncoming vehicles because I needed to turn left. I didn't see any, so I used my signal light and slowly started turning left. I remember the road was so dark at the time, but it's always dark on that stretch of road. When I turned, I saw another motorbike. It was so fast and it hit me on my right side. We both crashed. I remember I flew in the air and hit my head on the road. When I was lying in the middle of the road, I already knew I was going to die. I had a big wound in my chest and my stomach, cuts in my head, bruises all over my body, and I'm bleeding all over. I'm in so much pain. I don't want to move. I felt so sleepy. But when I'm about to close my eyes, I remember my kids, and I want to see them before I go. So I opened my eyes and used all my strength to stand. I remember while I was struggling to stand, I was shouting my kids' names. And when I finally got myself to stand, I vomited a ton of blood. I looked at the side of the road and saw some people walking ahead of me. I walked towards them, but I noticed that I'm having a hard time. So I looked at my legs and saw my right ankle is twisted. When I reached the side of the road, I called out for help, and they told me that an ambulance was coming. So what I did was I sat down, held my ankle with my two hands, and twisted it back in place. It was so painful that I shouted and cried when I did it. I know that I couldn't wait for the ambulance to arrive. I only had a little time left, and I could feel it. So I used all my strength to stand up and walk in the direction of my mom's house. But as I'm getting close to my mom's house, I started to lose my strength, and my vision is getting blurry. Maybe because I lost a lot of blood, but I can't walk anymore. I fell down and started to crawl. Just as I'm losing all hope, I heard a car stop, people get out, and carry me inside. One person in that car mentioned my name, so I know that they knew who I was, and I heard someone say, let's go to the hospital. 
I recognized their voices. They were my neighbors. I told them that I wanted to go to my mom's house. When the car stopped, I knew we were there. I'm slipping in and out of consciousness, so for the last time, I opened my eyes, and God only knows where I got my strength, because I stood up, got out of the car, opened the gate, and I saw my little brother sitting beside our swimming pool playing guitar. Then I walked towards our front door, and there she was, my mom, inside our house. I stood in front of our door and looked at my mom, and when she looked back at me, I smiled and said, Mom. Then blackness. I don't remember a thing. But my mom told me when she looked at me, I passed out and fell down lifeless. So my mom and my stepdad carried me back to the car and drove me to the nearest hospital. When they arrived at the hospital, my mom was hysterical. She ran inside the hospital and kept on shouting, Help, my son, he's in the car, over and over, crying hysterically. So the hospital staff and nurses ran back to our car to check on me. I can hear a nurse say that I don't have any pulse and I have already stopped breathing. At the time when all of this is happening, all I can remember is I'm floating in the air and all I can see is a bright circle of light above me. It's incredible. I remembered that as I'm getting closer to the light, I don't feel my pain. I don't feel any sadness. And when I'm closer, I can see trees and grass, flowers, butterflies. It feels like I want to be in that place, like I want to go there. So I reached my hand towards the light, and as I'm about to enter, I heard my mom crying, so I pulled my hand back. As the nurse stopped trying to revive me, and was about to turn to my mom and tell her I'd passed away, one of the other nurses saw my head move. She moved closer to me. She was so shocked, because I spoke aloud, and I kept on repeating the word no. She immediately ran and called the doctor. When I woke up in the morning, I saw my mom and the doctor standing beside my bed. When the doctor told us that they couldn't explain what happened, he shows us my hospital results from the accident. All of my wounds are healed. I don't have any fractures in my body. To this day, I'll never forget the experience that I had. This happened way back in October of 2006. At the time, I was just a 19-year-old kid, always on the lookout for adventure. One Friday night, after wrapping up my shift at McDonald's, I met up with some friends who suggested we check out this haunted location called White's Bridge. My one buddy, Brandon, said he had recently learned about it and began telling us the legends associated with the 100-year-old wood-covered bridge. Never one to turn down a spooky experience, we all piled into my green Ford Taurus and headed out on our journey. Brandon gave me directions, guiding me off the main road, and within minutes we were on the dirt back roads, surrounded by woods and cornfields. Our only point of reference was a blinking cell tower off in the distance. We could tell we were getting further from the city as our cell phones began slowly losing service. As we rode deeper and deeper into what legitimately felt like the absolute middle of nowhere, Brandon repeated the legend associated with the bridge. Back in the early 1900s, a local farmer discovered that his beloved wife had been cheating on him and in a fit of rage, he killed her and her lover after discovering them in the act. 
After committing the cold-blooded murder, the farmer left his home and wandered the dirt roads in a daze. He eventually came upon white bridges where the realization of what he had done finally began to sink in, and deciding he would rather die than face the consequences of his actions, he hoisted a rope up and over one of the bridge's rafters and hung himself. As far as I can tell, the story is complete fiction, but we totally believed it at the time. After a long and bumpy ride, Brandon instructed me to turn right on an off-road I wouldn't have even noticed was there had he not pointed it out. I took the turn, and there before us was White's Bridge. It looked like something straight out of a horror film, an old wood-covered bridge, aged by time, sitting alone above a river deep in the middle of nowhere. We parked the car on the side of the road and got out to explore. Immediately catching our eyes was a scarecrow lying abandoned at the entrance to the bridge. My friend Mike, who was known as somewhat of a risk-taker and a stupid one at that, picked up the scarecrow and lit it on fire. The hay body burst up into a ball of flames and Mike waved it around proudly next to the old dry wood bridge. Realising the risk, I told him to throw the damn thing in the river and put it out, which thankfully he did. After making sure there weren't any rogue embers that could ignite the bridge, Brandon suggested we get back in the car and pull it onto the bridge. He explained that the legend was that if you parked your car in the middle of the bridge, put it in neutral and killed the engine, the spirit of the dead farmer would push the vehicle forward to get it off the bridge. Naturally, we had to try this. We piled back in and did exactly as he said, we parked halfway across the rickety old bridge and killed the engine. We sat in the pitch black, saying nothing, waiting for something, anything to happen. The only sounds were the creaking of the bridge, the river flowing beneath us, and footsteps. Suddenly, the back driver's side opens and a woman abruptly enters the back seat, cramming in next to my two friends. She looked to be in her late twenties, early thirties, long straight black hair, slim, and wearing a plaid shirt and blue jeans. It's been a while, but this is essentially how I remember the conversation going. I saw your fire signal for me, she said. Uh, wait, what? I replied, totally freaked out and at a complete loss for words. I'm so glad you came. My boyfriend's car broke down that way. I need a ride back. My brain was doing its best to compute the situation. I'm sorry, but who are you? I asked. What are you doing here? I told you, she responded curtly. My boyfriend's car broke down over there. Can you please just give me a ride so I don't have to walk all the way back? She was pointing ahead towards a narrow road that forked off to the right on the other side of the bridge. My friend Mike, the scarecrow burner and ever the gentleman, added... I mean, if you need a place to stay, you're more than welcome to come crash at my place. I got plenty to drink, and I... I interrupted him. No, lady, listen, I'm sorry. I don't know who you are. You just got in my car, and this is all really weird. You could be an axe murderer for all I know, and I'm sorry, you have to get out. She glared at me in the rearview mirror. If looks could kill, I would have been done for. But you signalled me, she responded in an irritated tone. We weren't signalling for you. Get out. She let out an angry sigh and got out, 
walking back in the direction from where she came and disappearing into the night. I started the engine right up and looked at my friends. They all had looks of disbelief on their face. Without saying a word, I put the car in drive and slowly rolled forward and off the bridge. We needed to turn around and go back across the bridge to get back to where we had come from, and the only way to do that was to pull onto the side road that the woman said her boyfriend's car had broken down on, and then reverse. As I pulled onto the side road, my headlights illuminated the three posted signs that I hadn't been able to see from the bridge. No trespassing, private property, and do not enter. Looking up at the road, there was no sign of the woman. Wherever she went, it didn't appear she went that way. I didn't want to stick around though, so I backed up and crossed the bridge again, and from there began the journey home. We didn't have much to say on the ride home. I think we were all equally stunned. I visited Whitesbridge a couple of other times after that, but nothing of note happened in my subsequent visits. Sadly, some delinquents burnt down the old Whitesbridge some years ago. It was rebuilt, but from what I hear, it's just not the same as the original. I certainly don't have any plans to go and check it out. I've experienced an assortment of odd life experiences. Some I'd describe as difficult to explain. Some are just bizarre coincidences, some supernatural. But what I wanted to share today regards premonitions. I used to have quite specific premonitions more frequently when I was younger, and I definitely did not share them. For starters, I never believed in myself, at least not in the supernatural way. I would uh, usually blow it off in my own head as a, I don't believe it, I just live it. As I became a late teenager, I was becoming more confident in a general sense, and I would sparingly share them with friends and I knew would not think of me as weird. Well, at least, not uh, for that, but the other six jillion reasons. Anyway, my then-girlfriend, now wife, really enjoyed hearing about them. Uh, she actually believed them at face value for the supernatural properties, not just the peculiarity. For example, I told her how when I was about 12, walking to an infrequently visited childhood friend who lived near my grandparents, I got a feeling he was going to be moving away. The next day specifically, which he confirmed as we played in the front yard, and this blew her mind. I also had a premonition that was literally more than a decade in advance, and that I had a, a third grade yearbook that I would get a very, very weird sense about a particular photo of an upperclassman girl that I did not know and never met on campus. And even years later, stumbling through the yearbooks, I would still get that, um, that strange sense about that one photo. And then later, whenever we were dating, uh, we were bored sifting through our yearbooks and came across that photo. And that's whenever I realized that it was her. I was emotionally overwhelmed, to say the least, and it shocked her too when I told her. And she really then began to invest herself in my premonitions, still even more than myself. Now, these premonitions came with an odd, specific, yet dismissible sensation that it wouldn't become obvious until they materialized in reality. And they never seemed to pertain to practical stuff like lottery numbers, just oddball insights. 
It was very nebulous and not something that I could count on to the extent that I could prove it with documentation. For starters, I would tend to immediately forget about it uh, because I was busy living life when they'd happen. As we spent more time together and got closer, she got more insistent that I tell her when they hit me so that she can act on them. She basically wanted a combination of proving them and then heeding them uh, when they're uh, uh, about practical or dreadful things. Uh, I tried to communicate that it wasn't as easy as that, but I would try. For starters, I was still getting used to just anybody even knowing about these things. Well, one day, at least at the front end, I succeeded. We were married a few years and got a new car and uh, wanted to go on a casual road trip to pack some miles on it. We live in North Texas, decided to go up to central Colorado and then down to New Mexico and then back home in a big triangle in about five days or so. We just finished packing and I was literally locking the front door shut and a premonition-y sensation hit me. And I turned to her and said, before we get back home, we're going to hit and kill a bird. She asked, is this a premonition? Are you finally catching yourself in the act? Yes, I'm pretty sure. Now I was already gratified. I finally at least told a witness, uh, but we didn't document it further. And since this is a mid, the mid nineties, we didn't have like Instagram to post it on. So it was only proof that wrapped itself around the two of us. A few days later, we had most of the trip behind us and had really long since forgotten about uh, my premonition pronouncement and was driving through boring ass West Texas on our way home. To those who have not been to West Texas, don't go if you hate flat, desolate, featureless land. Not exaggerating. You could be flying along at 80 miles per hour spot a given saguaro cactus laterally out the car window a mile or so away you could watch it for what feels like 30 minutes before it falls out of view we were taking a connection to suit where we had visited so we were on a bone straight two-lane highway uh, it was so remote that the handful of vehicles that we passed the opposite direction would wave at us when we passed <laughs> how does that describe the landscape the takeaway here is that it's very desolate. Then in the most utterly random, no reason to happen here moment, a bird took flight right by the road and disintegrated on our windshield with a tragic thud and cloud of feathers. Far too sudden for me to avoid. I turned to her and gave her the, well, look. She was stunned even more. And as I recall, on the edge of crying, very emotional, realizing the realness and all of the previous and presumably future premonitions I've experienced. Not that we thought about it at the time, but it would have interested us to have stopped to think about how at this point, at this juncture, uh, we would have begun to doubt that the premonition was going to come true when 90% of the trip was already behind us and any place for a bird to be interested to be was nowhere to be seen. And yet this is when it decided to happen. Well, she sat there, mouth agape, 
I'll never forget the look on her face. And all I could think of to say was, welcome to my world. In 2013, I was in a relationship with a guy that lived about a five-minute walk from my house. Everything was going well, even better because he lived so close that we didn't have to get an Uber to visit one another or go out. We could literally walk to each other's houses or the coffee shop. One night, it wasn't too late, so I decided to walk home from his alone. It wasn't really a big deal, as although it was dark, it was winter and not that late, plus I liked to walk. So I started the journey home and I was walking down a particular road. That's when I noticed it. There was nothing particularly unusual about this road, just your typical tree-lined suburban street lined with houses. I had walked down it a thousand times before. As I was walking, I looked up at a house. It was an old Victorian house that I had never paid much attention to during the day, but at night it looked a little creepy. The garden was unkept and the house itself looked unlived in. As I got closer, I noticed from the light from the street lamp outside what could only be described as a grey, whitish hand reaching out to draw one of the neck curtains upstairs, as if someone was watching outside. I couldn't see a face, but there was someone up there watching me. Feeling spooked, I walked a little faster. Over the next few weeks, I would walk past the house during the day, and nothing seemed out of place. Sure, the house was old, but but nothing strange occurred. Another night, about a week later, when I was walking past the house again, this time with my boyfriend, he looked up at the window and said, Oh my God, that hand is there. I looked up, and there it was, that same grey hand pulling back the neck curtain. There was no face looking out, just that feeling someone or something was watching us. We walked along faster, and as we started to move out of sight, the curtain dropped and a face pressed through the netting and visibly looked in our direction. Now I was creeped out. You couldn't make out any features on the face, but there was a head pushing through those dirty net curtains looking right at us. Frightened, we walked faster and just got out of there. Another few weeks went by and late one night we walked down the street to the old house. As we got there, smoke had filled the street. Moving closer, we saw that the old house was on fire. Flames were pouring up the side of the house, lapping to the windows. Being late at night, no one had noticed it. Everyone was sleeping, so I dialed for the emergency services immediately. Then my boyfriend turned to me and said, There's someone inside! My thought had always been that it was an old person who was unable to come downstairs that was watching out the window. And putting all fear aside, I ran over and started banging on the door, It was a solid wood door, and we started pounding on it as the flames got higher. Then my boyfriend told me to stand back while he began to try and kick the door down. All of a sudden, one of the neighbours came out with all the commotion and shouted, What the hell is going on? I cried back, We've got to get this person out who lives there. Before I knew it, with the flames growing higher, the neighbours grabbed my boyfriend from behind and wrestled him onto the street. I kept telling them, We've got to get those people out of the house. Are you crazy, he shouted. There's no one in there. The old lady died two years ago. The place is empty. 
Eventually, the fire department came and put the fire out. They said that they had inspected the whole house and there was no sign of forced entry anywhere and no sign of how the fire started. The house has since been refurnished and a new family is living there. My boyfriend and I never mentioned what we saw in the window, the grey hand and the face pressed to those neck curtains. Wherever that old lady is, I just hope she knows I tried to save her life. I get chills down my spine just thinking about what happened that night. What my boyfriend and I saw was 100% real and there just doesn't seem to be any logical explanation for it. I now make a point of not looking up at people's windows at night. was a workout and a half. These body parts are really heavy. Although I did, of course, choose the men with the muscles. <laughs> now, to drive them back to my home and get them in my basement ready to stitch together, I just hope my nosy neighbor Ethel doesn't see me. She's the head of the neighborhood watch scheme and has been known to keep a journal by her bed, ready to jump up and write in it at any moment. She hears a noise outside and bam, she's up. Honestly, some people need to get a life. Anyway, kitties, be good. Don't steal any corpses. And I'll see you next week. Au revoir.